Alright. I'm thinking we'll start standing up and then maybe sit back yeah, down. I like good. that I like the sitting down though. Yeah. Feels so comfortable. It gives like levels. Like I feel like I you know it makes it feel I just feel like I'm in VBS, like stand up and then like sit back down and then halfway <laughs> up and uh, That's good. So bad. Um, hey, I'm Tristan. I met some of you last week. Uh, so we're exploring this idea of like the postmodern exploration of Christ's journey. So we're looking at the, the Gospels through the Jesus narrative. And then we're also um, going with a parallel to Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. Is anyone here familiar with Joseph Campbell or The Hero's Journey? Yeah, a couple people. So George Lucas read... Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, and that's what he came up with Star Wars. So Joseph Campbell had this kind of hypothesis that throughout all the narratives, it's the same story, the same idea. And so we're going to kind of be looking at the parallels in Christ's story with the hero's journey and how those look. And so the first one, like the very beginning of the hero's journey is this idea of like the ordinary world or the hero's call to adventure. Another way of saying this is kind of like the idea of uh, waking up. So when I was a, a senior in college, we had to take an ethics class to graduate, which I thought was hilarious. You took it at the end of your college career, not the beginning of it. You know, they might maybe should teach you like the ethics on the front end, not the back end. But nonetheless, we had to take this ethics course to graduate. And the teacher was one of the most incredible men that I've ever met. He was a lawyer on Wall Street. He took a 97% pay cut to come teach at our university. It was pretty much just like his way of being a charitable individual. Uh, he had climbed Mount Everest. I mean, I think there's only 10 people alive right now that have climbed Mount Everest, and so he was one of them. So it's kind of imagine if like, you went to your ethics class and Captain Ahab from Moby Dick was your ethics teacher. <laughs> like, he just had the severity. And I remember one time, in fact, he was uh, reading his Bible in class, like going over something, and he just read it so agonizingly slow. It was driving me crazy. And I leaned over to my friend, and I said, why does he read so slow? And my friend leaned back over and goes, he's translating from the Greek as he's reading. You know, like this is the kind of like caliber of the guy he was. So he's like translating from Greek as he's reading this text to us. So it was like very intense, very severe. I remember I turned in a research paper. We had to do a research paper on a poem. And I felt like really good about it. And when I got it back, it was just, it was like he broke a pen, a red pen over it and just like dumped it, you know, like offered a sacrifice of red ink to the... Uh, uh, it was just it was just horrendous and I but the, he was just such an intense man and I remember right near the end of the course I had gotten a really bad cold and I had made the mistake of waking up at probably three or four in the morning and uh, taking a dose of NyQuil and then going back to sleep and then my alarm went off at 730 to go to class I remember waking up and sitting up and then the whole room like kept moving even though I had stopped and I remember thinking like this is not gonna be good and I remember like, getting up out of bed and like finding some clothes, getting my backpack and walking to this ethics class and sitting down. And I started trying to take notes. And I remember looking at the clock and the clock started at like 9.30. And then all of a sudden like time just leaped and it was 9.40. And then it was like 9.50, like time was just evaporating. I look at my notes and it would just be like two words and then just like pencil would scrawl across and then like two words and the pencil would just scrawl across. And, and then I just remember this like wonderful feeling of like warmth and joy and appreciation and I just felt really good. And then in like in the like deep like subconscious of my mind, I heard this voice calling for my dad. The voice was going, Mr. Wheeler, Mr. Wheeler. And I remember thinking like, why is someone looking for my dad right now? And then all of a sudden the voice took this different octave and I heard this shuddering thump as the teacher was right in front of me at my desk, slamming his fist, yelling, Mr. Wheeler, 
and slamming his fist down. And I remember looking up, and there's the face of this man who has climbed Everest, just staring at me, like, right in my face. And I realized, like, I had fallen asleep in his class. And I, like, looked over at my best friend right beside me, and he didn't even make eye contact. He just looked straight ahead. <laughs> it's, like, the most, like, imperceptible of what, like, he just was like, mm-mm. Like, you're on your own. Like, our friendship just ended at this moment. Like, and I was like, ah. Oh, and I'm disoriented. I've just woken up, and I'm like looking at him, and I'm like, what is he doing here? And then I looked around, and I'm like, what am I doing here? And he looked at, my, he looked at me and said, do I have to explain myself? And I remember thinking, like, I shouldn't say yes to this question, but I don't know what's going on. And I just was like, uh. He goes, if you ever sleep in my class again, I will fail you. And I was like, we just went like all the way to like the worst case scenario here. And I just like swallowed really hard. I was like, yeah, okay, like never again. He just like got up and walked back to the front of the class and then just like eagle-eyed me the rest of the class. Like it was like the lecture was just directed at me as if my ethics were in question. Um, <laughs> and so like I tell you that story though because the hero's journey is all about, about waking up, about hearing the call. And it's a really great example and a great metaphor because so much of our life we go through, we just start sleepwalking. Like we're asleep, we're just, we're unconscious to all the things that are going on. We're not really paying attention. So I read this parable this week and it's by, it was uh, in a commencement speech by David Foster Wallace. And I wanna share it with you guys. So he tells the story of these, these two fish are swimming along when they pass an older fish. And the older fish looks at him and goes, hey boys, how's the water? And then passes on. And a few minutes later, the two younger fish stop, and then the first fish looks at the second one and goes, what the heck is water? And there's this realization, like, here they are, like, swimming in this thing, completely oblivious to the fact that they are, like, swimming in water, that, like, life is occurring. And it's so true to, like, what is happening to, like, so much of our population, even so much of our day. It's just, like, we're sleepwalking, right? We're going through the motions. Like, you have those days that, like, break up the routine, but then most days you just, like, get up, the same time you go to work or you go to class, you get through class, you go to lunch, you get through lunch, you go to class again, or you go to work, you go back to work, you like go home, you do your chores, and you go to bed, and you find yourself in this like routine of just going through the motions, going through the motions, and you exist in this kind of ordinary world. And in like all the great stories, I want to open this up to discussion for a minute, but in all the great stories, the movie starts off with like the character in a very ordinary setting. And then something happens in which the character realizes like, this is not an ordinary world. Uh, there's a call or challenge. So when you guys think about like your favorite movies, or your favorite novels, what happens? Yeah. Keeping with the theme, Star Wars, the you know, especially the um, New Hope, where Luke is just in this ordinary moisture farmer on Tatooine, that he's just like going through the motions, and then holographic message pops up and his life changes yeah forever yeah forever that's exact that's like the perfect illustration so he's like just a farm boy in the middle of nowhere on like the planet on the outskirts of the universe and uh then he gets the hologram like you're my only hope you know the stakes have now been raised like what other stories what other movies the matrix, the matrix. yeah so what happens in that one Exactly. So he's just like, it seems like this ordinary life is occurring, and then it's usually an external or outside force. What else? Let's do like two more. Or 
And I like the Hobbit as an example because we'll talk about it next week, but one of the stages is the refusal of the call. So there's always the call adventure, and then the hero always finds a way to like excuse himself from it. And the Hobbit's such a perfect Bilbo. I was like, uh, no, thank you. You know, like, I'm not interested in any adventures here. Go elsewhere. So yeah, there's that idea, and it's once again an external force comes in and disrupts the character's life. I mean, like going with the Star Wars example, the like I've got work to do, I cannot leave, and then turns out that they go off, and then his family is murdered by Imperial stormtroopers, and they make you know, and then it's like there's nothing left for me here. All I can do is go out and do this, and yeah. Yeah, that's it, and like. We'll definitely hit on that more next week, too, that idea of, like, the refusal of the call. So you guys understand there's this idea of, like, the hero hears this call, like, he's, he's woken up, and it's usually an external force. One of my favorite writers, he calls this the art of disruption. You know, and think about your own personal life. There's always something that happens, like, whether it's tragedy or loss that causes you, like, to wake up or causes you to pause, even just pause for a moment and realize that life is, is slightly different than you thought. And this is what is so often the case with uh, the language of Jesus. So I was thinking about this idea of Jesus in the temple as a boy. So he's sitting in the temple and his parents go looking for him. And he, he has that line where he says, like, I have to be about my father's business. So it's like even early on, Jesus has this idea, like, there is like another reality. There's something greater going on. And I am included in a part of that. Like there's something else. And then we see the language of Jesus. He's going around preaching. It's the same way. So Jesus is going around and he's saying this word repentance. And we usually put this negative connotation with it, but it's this idea of just waking up, of turning around. Like another way to see it is think differently. So if you read the Sermon on the Mount, I love it because Jesus says over and over, he goes, you have heard, but I'm telling you. So that's always what happens when you ever have a revelation. You have this way of thinking, this way of understanding things. And then someone says, hey, you've been thinking about this way of this thing for a really long time. But I'm here to tell you, like, what if there is a different way? What if there's a completely different way? I love that scene in A Beautiful Mind when Russell Crowe, they're all at, at a bar and then this beautiful woman walks in and all the guys are kind of like calling dibs on who's going to talk to this beautiful woman. And then Russell Crowe, like in that moment, comes up with his like realization for his like theorem on how he's going to change the financial world. And he's like, no, no, no. The way we do this is none of us go for this girl. And he's like, and then therefore we like, we all get girlfriends that way by ignoring and rejecting her. And they're all like, you're crazy. And he's like, no, 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 like this will work. And you see him and he's like at home, like writing in chalk on the windowsills and stuff. Like he realizes like there's another way to do this. So he's had this one operating function. And now all of a sudden someone is challenged and changes because there's another way to operate, another way to move in this world. The writer of Ephesians says it this way. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So I want to talk for a minute about this idea of like how so often we live in just like an unconscious state and we go through our lives like not really paying attention. And so I want to call these like toxic narratives. So think about like your own life. What are like myths or storylines or narratives that you just adhere to and believe that cause you like harm and damage that hurt you? But we all, you don't even have to say it personally. You just say like collectively as a culture. What are narratives that we just fall into that are toxic, that hurt us. And Patrick, if you think of anything through all of this, just hop in, please. Oh, uh, I like awkward silence too much. Because <laughs> I can sit in silence forever. Me I too. Do, I do silence with people. Me too. Yeah, silence. Really. <laughs> oh. 
I'm not good enough. It's like, in general. <laughs> yeah. We apply to anything. Yeah. Keep it up with the Joneses. That comparison. There's always somebody that like, has more or does more. What other thoughts? This is hard because so often we operate in such an unconscious way to then stop and think of what are my unconscious beliefs? Like that's the whole reason they're unconscious. That's a really good one, and that's so true. We, we fall into that trap of, like, we almost do it in, like, a weird victim way, but the same way it's a pride thing. Where it's like, I'm so busy, but then also, like, because I'm important and I'm doing all these great things, but I'm also exhausted, which is why I can be mean or cruel to people. Or, and, yeah, it's admired in some ways. Any other thoughts? I had this one. Uh, I ride, I ride my bike a lot around town. Like we live in Green Hills, and so it works just a couple of minutes away. So I just will ride my bike a lot. Which riding your bike, you can't text and ride your bike at the same time. Like it's just really hard. Uh, uh, but because of that, I I'm paying attention a lot more and watching other people. And I'm amazed at how many people text and drive. And it, and it kind of hit me this week, like, that is a very unconscious belief that, like, we all know texting and driving is a really bad idea, and yet we all do it, you know? It's like that thing, like, we all pick our nose, like, we pretend like we don't, but everybody kind of does when no one's looking, and it's like, we all text and drive, and riding my bike, I'm, like, watching people, I'm like, you're texting and driving, you're texting and driving, like, you're, and you're upset that this person is missing the red light because you're texting and driving, you know? And I just was like, but we all kind of fall into it because it, it is collectively what so many people do. There's this quote from one of my favorite authors, Richard Rohr. He says, Western rationalism no longer understands myths and their importance. Although almost all historical cultures valued myths, we are the obvious exception. Western culture has replaced these effective and healing storylines with ineffective, cruel, and disorienting narratives like communism, fascism, terrorism, capitalism, and consumerism. Each in its own way is a watertight explanation and refuses any outside critique. So I was thinking about this idea of these like negative storylines, and you all mentioned so many great ones. So we live in these unconscious, like we fall into these storylines. And I was reading about how for postmodernism especially, like for, for our age, for our generation, there's really only two myths that we really believe. And the first one is, I produce, therefore I am or I consume, therefore I am. And those are the only two storylines we really fall into. So that is why I think more than ever, having very mature, healthy religion, healthy Christianity pushes us towards having healing storylines. Um, I love watching movies 
Uh, Patrick, when, when we first started hanging out, would tease me and give me the hardest time. He's like, you're gonna write one of those books that just like talks about movies all of the time. But one of my, like if you just go to my favorite websites, it's uh, IMDB or Rotten Tomatoes. Those are like my two favorite, like I'm always like, and I'll just tell my wife, I'm like, did you know this movie got a 17% on Rotten Tomato? Like a movie I'm never gonna watch, I'm just curious about it. Uh, and so like, I was thinking about this idea that like, certified fresh is, that's like the, the thing that movies go for. So like Wonder Woman got this like super high scores, like 95, and then The Mummy got like 27. Like I could, t- I could tell you like all the current movies or TV shows right now. Uh, I just, I just one of my like hobbies and pastimes. And I was thinking about like, we love this idea of like a really good, healthy storyline. We love a really good narrative when a movie really captures you. And so I'm gonna show us a clip in a second, but I was thinking about when you think about the really great narratives, we talked about this a little bit, but what would be like paradigm shifts for you in which you thought of these negative storylines, we believe, these toxic ones, and then what would be like healthy alternatives? My favorite writer, Richard Rohr, he says, the best critique of the bad is the practice of the better. So like, what would be storylines in which we could like adopt and fall into that would cause us to wake up, that would cause us to realize reality? That would cause us to maybe live in much more healthy, like wholesome ways. Obviously, a uh, I think a narrative of, especially in, in, when we talk about busyness, the opposite of that would be creating a life that is that has rhythm to it, that, you know, maybe there are moments where I am just alone or, you know, in solitude, because that is a healthy thing to do. Um, but it's so counterculture to what we're supposed to do. Like, you aren't supposed to be alone hardly ever. Like, being alone is bad, even though there, there can be times where too much alone time is bad, but I think a healthy alternative to the business narrative is this this practice of healthy rhythm of time with things and with people and time away and time on and time off and so that would be one thing I would say others we can start pointing you out that that would be helpful Think about it this way, if we, if we rephrase the question. When you think about the life that you want to live, the kind of quality of life that is, what are those qualities, what are those characteristics? What are those things that are like future, later, that you can't have now, for whatever reason, that you think of, oh, that would be a good life if this. My life would be good, fill in the blank. Yeah, so if you had the unlimited wealth, then you could do the things that you wanted to do. What else? When I think about, sorry, I'm talking all the time now. <laughs> um, the, I think about people and the people that I've seen a lot of 
college age young adults really resonate with. It's like the kissing for Katie's. Kissing Katie. Kissing Kissing Katie. Kissing Katie. Right. So her, right? Um, I think about Bob Goff, the story that he, the story in life. I think of Shane Claiborne, the story in, in the life that he's lived. So look at all these people, and they all have something that's very much in common with them. But you know, we read about them, and these are like people who are kind of alive and doing things today. But we're like, I. I can't be them or even a kind of version of them because I've got, like you said, work, school, things that I've got to do, achievements I need to accomplish, and I can't be this person that is all about justice or service or missions or whatever it is. And so, like, those people kind of embody the, I think, the narratives that we all want to about, but just choose to kind of stay in the cycle or stay asleep. Yeah. I think I like the example of the Matrix because I love that scene in the Matrix where one of the characters has come out of the Matrix and then realizes just how miserable everything is. And so he decides he wants to get put back in. He's like, I want to go back to sleep. I don't want to remember any of this. And I, I feel like that is that is so much more the real challenge, is we wake up to something, and we're like, oh, this thing, it's awesome, it's real, it's alive. Uh, my wife and I, we used to keep just gratitude journals, uh, and it was such a good practice, uh, but it, sometimes it's tedious, and sometimes it's just annoying, and sometimes I'm tired, and I just, I don't wanna, I don't care. Like, the world isn't a beautiful place, I hate it, like, I don't, like, I'm not grateful for anything, like, you know, it's just like the truth of it. Uh, and so I stop, um, and it's that idea of like going back to sleep, and so one of my favorite children's authors, he says, uh, anybody can slay a dragon. A true hero is somebody that wakes up and loves the world all over again. And that to me is almost the, the challenge of Christianity is like you wake up and you have to do it all over again today. You have to find all the wonder, all the joy, all the love and like practice it again. You know, every day, day in, day out in this routine and finding healthy rhythms. I want to show you a clip from... Uh, The two towers, this is one of my. If it will work. It's going slowly, it's buffering. Going back. Sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Without the end, we'd be happy. 
So I want to talk about this idea, like two last points before we wrap up. So the first is this, there's two types of language in the past, uh, it's mythos and logos. And so for the past 300 years, we've really focused on this idea of logos language, which is really wonderful. It's like the idea of like technology and medicine and flight. So it's really important and really useful. I had ACL surgery. I'm very thankful for logos language that like improved medicine so that I can like have a functioning knee. But then there's also this mythos language, and most of the Bible is written in mythos language. It's written in this idea of metaphor, because whenever you've faced with something that is like beyond understanding, like death, or love, or life, you want to find metaphors, you want to find stories that help you understand these ideas. And so there's this idea of, especially in our culture, we say literally all the time. Have you noticed that? Like, there's, SNL has some hilarious skits about this, but like, this is literally the funniest thing I've ever seen. Or like, we just say this idea of literally, and it, we've put this weight and emphasis on literal things being better than figurative things and being better than stories. And I remember taking a, a class uh, in grad school on the Psalms, and he said that facts and figures fail to convict and connect the way that poetry and stories do. So you think about it, like if someone just lists statistics and facts, like just, it doesn't resonate with you. But when someone tells you like a single story, when someone like shares a poem with you, it has a way of like moving your heart in a way, of capturing and changing the way you feel and think about things. And like I had this one thought, and this is like the thing that, that struck me this, this week as I was studying and preparing for this lesson. I want to tell you guys this, this one story because this is the thing that kind of all changed for me was we've gotten in in such arguments, like we see this with fundamentalism, of arguing whether or not something actually happened instead of arguing whether or not like the story changes us on any level. So one of my favorite writers, he says that scripture is for transformation, not information. And we see that with like the rise of technology. Like you can know anything now. Like you don't even have to wait for it. I saw a comic the other day and it showed these two guys and it said before the internet, and it showed the two guys on the couch. He said, I wonder where toucans are from. And then the guy goes, I don't know. And that was it. And then it said, now with the internet, and the guy goes, I wonder where toucans are from. And you see him like Google it on his phone. So like we can know anything, and yet we see more and more like people being isolated, people being unkind, people <coughs> being cruel, because information is not transformation. Because the type of person you are matters a great deal more than the things that you know. 
So you can know a lot of things about the Bible and a lot of things about the Scripture and have it not impact you on any type of deep spiritual level. And as I was thinking about this, it made me realize the story of Jesus on the cross where he looks out at the people that have abused him, that have beat him, that have mocked him, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I was thinking, what if our language changed? Instead of we looked at people as like inside or outside or like saved or sinners, we looked at people that are either asleep or awake. People that are either like unconscious or people that are awake. And I remember I was dating this girl in college and I it was like the big weekend where like I met her her parents. So I went to like her house for the weekend. I got to like see her family and we were all in the living room and I think we were watching CSI or some show like that. And we're all watching the TV and then her 12-year-old brother like gets out of bed and walks through the living room. And I like looked over and I like I was about to say hi and then my girlfriend was like, "Shh, don't say anything. He's sleepwalking. Like just let him be." So I like watched him go in the living room and then he walked into the kitchen. And it was quiet for a minute. And then they had one of those trash cans where you like step on the, the floor pedal and it pops the lid open. It was a metal trash can. And I had taken the trash can out earlier. And I heard him like step on the pedal and the trash can lit. And then it was silent for a minute. And then you just heard this like <laughs> And we all like just like start holding this laughter as we realized like this 12 year old boy is just peeing in the trash can in the kitchen, you know? And then we heard the like the lid like release back and he like walks back through and like goes to his bedroom and uh the mom like looked at us and she was like no one says anything to him ever (laughs) and it was just this moment of like but that is so great like it's so funny she was like he would be horrified he had no idea what he was doing you know like he was not responsible for that like he was sleepwalking and i was thinking about that of jesus on the cross looking at these people and he says Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's like they're unconscious. Like they're sleepwalking. Like they have not yet been woken up. And so I was thinking about this. Like I so often get so frustrated because one of the toxic myths that I believe is I am the center of the universe. And I wouldn't like say that in like, uh, like I like, no, I'm not. Like I know that like I, like this planet isn't even the center of the universe. But so often I operate and interact with like people inconveniencing me. Like people upsetting me. Like it's this like capital I, I am the most important. And I get so frustrated with so many other people. And like that myth calls me out of that because when I start realizing that like people so often are living in this unconscious way, that like they are swimming in water and they don't realize, like they don't know this is water, then it can open me up to be so much more compassionate because I can remember myself that like I have slept walk through most of my life, that I, I still sleepwalk through most of my days. But like every so often I can have moments of waking up and I can look out at other people and realize like they are sleepwalking through life. And what I can give them the gift of is helping them wake up, of setting little alarm clocks, of setting little timers, of saying like, hey, like, have you noticed this thing? Have you seen this thing? Have you paid attention to this thing? I recently came across this practice and I try to practice it throughout the day and sometimes I forget, but it's, it's just 15 seconds of savoring something. And so they talk about negative interactions just latch onto your brain like Velcro. It takes no energy or no time. So if someone criticizes you, someone makes fun of you, it sticks immediately. Have you noticed that? Like right off the bat in the day, if someone just like criticizes you or attacks you, you'll carry that the rest of the day, maybe the rest of the week. And if somebody says something positive to you, it can just slide off like silk. And so psychologically, they've done studies that if you really want a good thing to stay in your mind in, in the front lobe, then you have to hold that thing for at least 15 seconds. 
So I've started, whenever I find myself in a really beautiful moment, I just start counting down from 15. It's just a way to focus. I'm like, okay, I'm here right now. So I'm like 15, 14. So a couple weeks ago, I was out on the ocean with my daughter and we were in an inner tube and the waves were just kind of rising and falling. And my daughter thought somehow I could control the waves. So every time a wave would go up, she would go, more wave. I was like, we'll see. Like, uh, uh, I don't know. And I, but I was this moment where like, I'm just holding her and like the sun is coming over and like her hair is blowing in the wind. I was like, this is a movie, you know, at least a Hallmark commercial, but it's beautiful. And I was like, okay, 15, 14, 13, 12. And then all of a sudden my daughter goes, more wave. And I was like, dang it, like I have 15, like, shh, don't talk. Like, you're spoiling this. You're ruining this. Like 14, 13, more wave. Stop talking. You know? Like, but it was just really like, this is a beautiful moment. Like, help me be awake to this moment. Just even, even if I can only get 15 seconds of a single day and that was it. Like, that's a really good start to the day. So as I said, like, I want to end each class with a benediction. And so this is the benediction I want to end with this week for you all. It's by this author. Her name is Calissa Pincola Estes. And she said, I hope you will go out and let stories that is life happen to you, and that you will work with these stories, water them with your blood and tears and your laughter till they bloom, till you yourself burst into bloom. I hope you guys have an incredible week this week. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, so if, can I borrow a sheet of paper from here? If you're not on the this class email list, we send out emails kind of like recapping the, uh, the day or the week. So just come up and put your email list down there, or email address down there, make sure you're on that. And that's it. Thanks for being here. There's donuts, I think, still left in that room. So help yourself to a Krispy Kreme donut. Meet someone you haven't met in the room before. And yeah, we'll see you next time.